Let's open our Bibles to the book of James. Uh, James chapter 4. Now this morning I'm going to read verse 13 down through 17. But we're going to focus and spend our attention on verse 14 mainly. So let's stand and let's ask God's blessing upon us. And then I want to read those several verses. Let's pray together. Now, blessed Lord, we come to the preaching and teaching of Your Word. We come to this divine Word that You inspire through the hand of James. Lord, we pray for light. We pray for understanding. We pray for hearts ready to receive the truth. We pray for our minds ready to be changed. Lord, where we are out of sorts, where we are... Wrong, Lord, correct us, instruct us. Lord, replace error with truth. Liberate us, O Lord, from our own ignorance. Even deliver us from our own waywardness. And bring us by your sovereign power and sovereign grace, Lord, to a place where even this day we might look into the precious truth of your word and not be like the man that goes away, not heeding what he sees, but that we would heed and we would change by grace. Lord, make our lives pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 13. Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, beloved, this morning, as I focus on verse 14, I want to bring to you the topic or the subject called, uh, at least uh, to address what James describes here in verse 14 as the evanescence of life. The evanescence of life. That's what James is speaking of when he talks about one's life being but a vapor, a vapor. Now, there is another way that I have thought to describe what James is saying to you, and it is this. Listen up. You don't want to miss it. It's spending time like play money. Spending time like play money. Because that is at the very heart of what James is speaking of here. James is contrasting not just the Christian life in contrast with an unbelieving life, a a carnal life, or another way to say it is a worldly life. 
He's not just contrasting those two, but he is certainly setting up this idea, or at least the problem of a Christian who comes to faith in Christ, has been given the Holy Spirit, who has been enlightened in various, at least in a saving degree, been enlightened. What's this enlightenment, this saving enlightenment? Well, it's to know that we are sinners. It's to know our own failures. It's to know our, at least, great need of calling upon God to save us in His Son. That we really have nothing to offer God whatsoever. We have no way of making restitution ourselves to buy our salvation. That is something only Christ can do. Christ came into this world that He might offer Himself as a what? A redeeming price to satisfy God's justice for sinners. Now that has to be there. If you don't understand that, if you don't, if you can't relate to what I just said, you, you don't have salvation. There's no, there's nothing saving. There's nothing uh, in you that is relating to this fact and truth that we are incapable of saving ourselves. But what about the Christian that begins to fall into these carnal, back into these carnal understandings, back into the way the world operates and does things? Well, what's supposed to happen? Well, we should be rebuked. And that's exactly what James has been doing, has he not? He's been rebuking Christians who have fallen back into a carnal way of thinking and doing things. And James has called them out. And he's like, you can't live this way. This is sinful living. This is sinful thinking. And you've been called to a higher purpose. You have higher goals. And you certainly have a truth and a body of truth that helps us live above the world in general. Now James is addressing and dealing with this whole aspect of planning and time. And James is at least bringing to our, to our eyes and to our mind and to our heart. He said, there's a way the world lives. The world lives in, without any regard to God. And why is that important when it comes to time? Because, well, time, time is not... Uh, time isn't a deity. Time isn't immortal. Time isn't something that exists in and of itself. God created it. God is above time. He's beyond time. He's eternal. There's no time in God. He has no beginning, nor does He have in an end. When God created what we read in Genesis, He created time. He, he, he manufactured, if you will, time. And He did it so that it might help us have a relationship with Him because He created us to live within the time that He created. We are God's creatures. Philosophers have always struggled with this concept of time. I mean, I want to just, you know, just to to show you how hard it may be, well, define it yourself. Define it. 
Think about the concept of time and put a definition on it. You'll start beginning to see how hard and difficult it may be, particularly separated from God and separated from His revelation. We read that James says that when we live in a way that is absent of acknowledging God's sovereignty and God's will, we begin to live as our own God. He says, what arrogance. That's what he says right there in verse 16. He says, but as, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. There's one problem that each of us have on a regular basis, and it's this. It's breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But there's something that goes on every day in our hearts and our minds, and that is we want to be God. We choose for ourselves to be God. And therefore, we break the first commandment. Why? Because we're not to have ourselves as our God. We're to have one God. And yet we constantly struggle with our own attempt to be God and play God. Now, how, do, how does the Christian here that James is confronting and correcting play God? To treat time as if it's nothing. To treat time as if we can just call it, name it and claim it, so to speak. Notice what he says in verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Notice the confidence. We're going to go do this and we're going to make this happen and we're going to get rich doing it. That confidence there, James is saying, is evil. It's evil. Who can, who's the only one that can speak with such confidence about the future? God. Why can God speak so confidently about the future? Because He exists in the future. There's no beginning. There's no end. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He, there, if there's no beginning and no end, God doesn't exist within a week, a month, a year, or a decade, or a century, or a millennium. He's beyond all that. He feels the universe. He feels all things. And there's never a time that God has not existed and never be, there never will be a time that He does not exist. Only God knows the future because He lives in the future. And He can declare such statements and matter-of-factly not, not the creature. And to do so is to play God. To do so is to act like God. To do so is to be arrogant and evil, James says. Well, this morning, let me do this. I want to point out three things to help us understand this evanescence of life or this, this spending time like play money. I, I think that conveys the idea. You know what play money is, right? Have you ever, you know, when you were little, you know, you have play money, you just, it doesn't matter what it costs. <laughs> it doesn't matter because you just shut the fake money out there that play money. It doesn't matter if it's a million dollars. You can just put a million dollars out. Two million, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And that's the way we spend time. I want to say this, brothers and sisters. Number one, here's the first point. The first point that I want to bring to our attention is something I call the burden of time. The burden of time. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by the burden of time is that is there's, there exists a time frame. Seasons, days, 
months that God created in order for us to exist and to live. I mean, I want, to th- I want you to think about your body, the biological clock. Even our bodies operate on a 24-hour cycle, doesn't it? And there's nothing anyone can do about that. You, you cannot stay up and, and, and be sane for long periods of time. The, the longer you stay up, the tired your body becomes, the more tired your mind becomes. And you begin saying things and doing things that are not rational. I've experienced that in the army where we had to stay up for 36 hour periods and I found myself, now this is a true story, I'm not I'm telling you this, I found myself wandering around out in the woods, didn't know how I got there. Because we had been up doing these missions all night, all day to the point of exhaustion and we finally, they had to, they had to force us to stop and rest. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you've been. You can't remember. You can't, there's no coherence of thought. Another theologian talks about preparing his dissertation. And he's talking about the connection between time and rest and psychology and the body. Well, he was up for hours and hours and hours upon days and upon days in order to meet a deadline and to type out his dissertation. Well, finally, his typeset is calls back, his editor calls back, and she says, Sir, I'm not going to tell you his name. He says, Sir, what's going on? He says, Well, I don't know. What do you mean? He goes, Well, you go one, two, five, seven, eight, ten. She goes, You just start skipping numbers. And I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to to arrange this. Help me understand. And he was skipping paragraphs. But see, in his mind, he was so tired. But why? I go back. What's my point? My point is we have been created to live within a sovereign frame of time. I say a sovereign frame of time. By a sovereign God created for us, what? A frame of time. And there's, listen, atheism cannot deal with it. The atheist can't say, you know what? I'm going to deny the 24-hour biology and I'm just going to live. I'm going to to stay up a week at a time. Can't do it. You know France, in their rebellion and revolution against the established Christianity that once existed in that country, tried to go to a 10-day work week. It failed. It failed. Couldn't do it. It was their attempt to just erase God from the, from the scene. Can't do it. So as we talk about the burden of time, what I want to bring to our attention is there is a time frame that God has given us to work in, to rest in, to co-create with God. You know, we are co-creators. God is the original creator. We are co-creators. We, we exist made in the image of God that we would put our hands to things and create them for His glory, the good of humanity and His people. We've been given a time frame to love God, to love others. There is the Lord's day. It's a day that God has sovereignly marked out, set apart. He says, now on this day, or that, that is one in seven, I want my people to gather and worship me. That's a time frame where God, where God exercises sovereignty. He says, this is mine, not yours. This is mine. And here's what I want you to do on the day. Um, given, you know, certainly the exercise of liberty and freedom to do so. 
All of the things that we do take time. We have to set aside time to eat, to feed ourselves. We have to set aside time to sleep and to rest. A lot of studies going on now about how important sleep is. Sleep is important to weight loss. It's important to exercise. It's important to work productivity. All of that's vastly important. Why? Because there's a time that we must rest. Now, all of those things were true before the fall. Adam would have rested. Adam would have done all the things that we've talked about, but now after the fall, guess what? Things have become frustrated and complicated. After the fall, after man's rebellion against God, we don't necessarily want to sleep. We don't necessarily want to spend our time within the framework that God's given us. We like doing what we want to do. We like doing the things we want to do. We like creating for ourselves our own priorities. We like, we like, we like ascribing value to those things that we like instead of recognizing that God has already placed value on certain things and actions and activities. And that if we would just do those, guess what happens? We're blessed beyond what we deserve, brothers and sisters. There is this burden of time that we all live within these frameworks. You think about Ecclesiastes 3. Just turn there with me. Ecclesiastes 3. This is a very popular passage of Scripture. Someone that I'm sure that as, we, as I read this, you're going to know it. But before I read it, what I want us to understand is how the preacher, that's the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, identifies himself. The preacher now here understands that there is a time for certain things and activities. And notice what he says in verse 1 of 3. He says, there is an appointed time for everything. Now, how does he know this? Because God has shown him these things. And there is a time for every event under heaven. There's a time to give birth. It's a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that which in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. Here's what the preacher says. The preacher says, look, in all of these things... That there is a season and a time for if we do all of these things without God, apart from God, in our own strength and in our, and placing our own value and ascribing our own interest to Him, guess what? We do them all in vain. The only way all of these things that we are called to do and are supposed to do and ought to be doing that, that we benefit from and, and is a blessing when we do them all under the umbrella of a sovereign God who has given us all things. 
and he's given us times and seasons. A uh, 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 gentleman made a comment the other day. I've been um, uh, familiarizing myself with some, some classic literature and was listening to some college courses describing some of this literature because I'm not going to read the books, but I'll listen to a couple of lectures on these books and sort of, you know, um, help me understand the importance of these pieces of literature. But he said something that I resonated with and I think is very true, and he said this. He said, every time I pick up a book, no matter how many times I've read it in the past, every time I read it, it's a new book. Why? What, was he, what, was he, what did he mean? What he was saying is, I'm older. Even I'm a year older. I'm a year more experienced. I'm a year more advanced in my walk with God. I'm a year more advanced in the hurts and the experiences of life. And so when I read this book again, I read it with a different experience each time. Now I want you to think about that and how important it is for us to relate to scriptures that way. Look what we're learning. We should never read the Bible, brothers and sisters, and be where we were a year ago. We should never read the Bible and regress. And we can regress. It is possible as Christians to regress. But we must have the mindset that the time that God has given us, we must take steps forward and advance, even in certain aspects, maybe not in everything, but to know that, that we're going to do life, Okay, can I rob that from the you know human to do life? What? Under the umbrella of the God who created life. Not without him. That's all atheism is. We live in a very atheistic society. There's a lot of atheism that's pushing, pushing this this theism and God out of everything. That's why you have the rise of the transgender movement. That's why you have the rise of all of this transsectional um, identity and the third wave feminism. That's why you have all of these philosophies and movements going on because it's nothing more than atheism eating itself. When we reject God, this is what you get, chaos. When you reject God, you get chaos. All of these things that I've mentioned to you are destroying the family. Every one of them. A couple in Europe have had their children, this is recent, have had their son taken away. He's autistic. I think he's 12 years old, but he's decided as a 12-year-old autistic boy, he wants to be a girl. Now, where do you think he got that information? You know, he did not wake up one day and dream and dreamed that he wanted to be a girl. Where do you, he, somehow he came in contact with this information that he could choose his identity. Well, the school wanted to put him on hormone blockers, which are destructive. And we are not even aware of the damage it does to the uh, conditioning of the, of the brain in its development. Still a young man. 12 years old. The parents refused to allow him to go on these hormone blockers, and so they took the child from the parents and called them abusive. Now, that's in the UK. That's not America, is it? That would never happen here, would it? I say that sarcastically. I'm being sarcastic. If you think that's not coming, you are deceiving yourself. If we don't stand up, if people don't stand up and call foolishness foolishness, 
This is what happens when the, the, the tidal wave of atheism is all of these things that we've talked. It's, a destructive, it's destructive to the family. It's destructive to marriage. It's destructive to the parent and child relationship. It's destroying what God has put together as the foundation and the, and the, the, the if you will, the, the starting and launching point for all of life, the family. So there's this burden of time. Now, brothers and sisters, our plans obviously exist within this time frame. We've been given six days to do our labor and, and one day to serve the Lord in a very public and corporate way. That means we are obligated and, and committed to surrounding or uh, formatting our time to fit within what God has given to us and commanded of us. There's work, there's worship, there's recreation. All those things are important. But how we do them and when we do them all should be done under the banner of God's sovereignty if we're going to have His blessing. Our plans must exist within the time frame that God created. Have you ever said this? There's just not enough hours in the day. Have you ever heard time heals all things? Well, did you ever think about this? And it was something I learned this week. Who's the healer in the Bible? Is it time or is it God? You see, that phrase I found out comes from humanists. Because the humanists love to just treat time as deity. That's why the evolutionist just keeps lumping millions and millions and millions of years. Why? Because with enough time, listen to me, with enough time, anything's possible. That's their mindset. Given enough time scientifically. I mean, it, that flies in the face of true science. Given enough time, anything is Possible, And there you have this carnal, humanistic, secular mindset that time is sovereign in and of itself. It's not. God, who is alone sovereign and all-glorious and almighty, exists within this framework of time as it relates to us. And He's given us so many hours in the day to rest, eat, and serve Him, work, labor. He's given us seasons and opportunities to do this to do all of these things, if we don't structure our, our days, our time accordingly, guess what happens? We waste it. We waste it. We spend time like play money. We all here in God's graciousness are given the same amount of hours in the day. Now, we're not given the same length of time. Some of us may live longer than others. And we're not given the, 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 what may make the quality of those years or days something. That God sovereignly distributes His gifts and how we spend those days and years um, are according to His will. But see, brothers and sisters, here's what I want to point out to you. Is that we can do nothing about yesterday. It's gone. You know, when you lose money, you can, you can work and make that money back up. 
You can save it. You can invest it. You can, you can work harder. You can work two jobs. You don't have to just work one job. You can work two jobs and save that extra money. There's a number of things you can do when you lose money to, to make it up. But guess what? You can't go back and get tomorrow. You, you, you can redeem time from a Christian perspective, which means to start making the most of what you have. But you can't go back and get this morning. You can't go back and get yesterday. You can't, you can't go back and get the last 10 years. It's gone. You know, as parents, we can't go back and raise our children. How many parents have said, I wish I could have 10 more years of their development? That's the, the burden of time here. I'm going to give you one more aspect, and we're going to move on to our second point. This other aspect is this burden of time, brothers and sisters, not only should help us plan, not only should help us figure out what's valuable and what's not, things we ought to be doing. Look, there's a season. If we're older in life, there are certain things we ought to be doing. If we're younger in life, the, the, the temptation is to live as if you're never going to die in that you're never going to be faced with all of these frailties of the human condition, that you're going to live forever. The young mind, young heart is almost invincible. And that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake. Because when the Bible says that this day your soul is required of you, there's no time frame put on that. There's no age put on that. Young people and older people must live within the time frame that there is coming a day that our souls will be required of us, which brings, us, brings me to our last point under that heading, and that is time helps us with our motivation. There is a hell that exists, and there is a heaven that exists. Let me try to put it to you in the simplest way I can. As I preached this morning... There are people in hell suffering. They cannot redeem themselves. They are without God's common grace. That means they are, they, are, they are separated from everything that is good. They have no longer any access to even common grace, common goodness, benevolence, any kind of, you know, excuse me, I'm sorry, thank you. All of that is done. They now exist in a realm and reality of pain and suffering and gnashing of teeth where they cannot redeem one second. It's over. That exists right now. Heaven exists. And heaven is filled with people that don't deserve to be there. Everybody in hell deserves to be there. Yep. Along with everybody else. But those in heaven right now don't deserve to be there. Why are they there? They're there by God's grace. They are there because at some point in some time they have received and made use of the grace of God in their life to the saving of their souls and they have walked in the paths of righteousness. Not perfectly. 
But brothers and sisters, we're talking about, am I going to live as a Christian or am I going to live as an unbeliever and call myself a Christian? Christians must have a biblical mindset of time. We can't be arrogant. It, to be arrogant is to be wicked, James says. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to do this and that as if we own this place. We don't. God does. We can say, Lord wills. Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the ability. Lord, give me the resources and then give me the, the wisdom to spend these resources and to do these things as you, as you are, are pleased to do. We can do all of those things. And, and that's how a Christian lives. A Christian lives in that acknowledgement. Brothers and sisters, hell and heaven are great motivations for the Christian. And you know what? You don't want to go... There, you want to go to heaven. And all right, now what does that look like? If heaven is my destination, then what do I need to be thinking? Number one, I need to be seeing time as a, a tremendous blessing. Number two, we need to learn that the Lord is the Lord of time. He's the God of time. He exists above it. He created it. He's not bound by it. He's sovereign over it. If the Lord wants to stop the sun, guess what He'll do? He'll stop the sun as He did in the past. The Lord is sovereign over time. Time is a purely, listen to this, time is a purely religious construct. Think about it. How could you believe in evolution and, 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 and have the, how can there be seasons in evolutionary thought? How can there be a past? How can we know the past? How can we know the future if everything is hap happenstance and chance? How do we know tomorrow is going to be any different than yesterday if there's no God, if there's no created purpose? We, evolution doesn't give any of those uh, confidences, does it? Secularists use time Use time without acknowledging the God of time and His sovereignty. That means they benefit from it. Why? Because an unbeliever can go out and plant and sow seed and water his, uh, uh, water his crops. And guess what happens in the harvest? Guess what happens when all of these things come up as God had appointed the time and the seasons? He benefits from it. But He doesn't give God the glory for it. He doesn't acknowledge God. He doesn't understand, beloved, that one day to God is of a thousand years. That God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. Why? Because He is the sovereign creator of everything. He is the creator of the universe. I tell you what the church has done well, and the church has robbed God of His title as creator. And I believe, honestly, I believe with all my heart, that's exactly why this gender confusion exists today. Because God has been robbed of, his, of being creator. To have a God that creates is to have a person have, has a creation with a purpose. And to have a purpose is to have meaning. You can't have meaning without purpose. If you don't know your purpose, you don't know why you're here and what you're to do. You don't know any of those things. And that, that atheism and evolution has robbed people of their purpose. And now we're just trying to make up anything and everything that we think might make us happy. And it's a disaster. 
It's destroying lives left and right. He's the creator of the universe. He's the governor of this world. The Bible tells us that God sits in the heavens and watches over everything. Watches over here. What does Psalm 2 teach us? Psalm 2 teaches us that there are some people that don't want God ruling over them. And they seek to push God off of them. They don't want God. And so what they do is they collectively gather together all of the other people that don't want God. And they war and they fight and they rage and they cuss and they fuss against God. That's what happens. And the Bible tells us that God sits in the heavens and laughs. At their folly. Paul said it this way in the book of Romans. He said, Who are you? Who are you, pot? I'm going to paraphrase Paul. Who are you, pot, to shake your fist at the pot maker? Does the pot scream against its maker? No. Pots don't do anything. Pots are pots. It's the one who fashioned the pot on the wheel. It's the one who shaped the clay. He's the sovereign one. He's the one with all the gifts and the creativity and the power. The pot's just a pot. And that's what Paul says. Who are you to shake your fist in the face of your creator? There's not only a creator and a governor, brothers and sisters, there's a savior. There's a savior. And Jesus Christ has been given the highest office in this universe. Matthew 28. All power and authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. All of it. What is Jesus doing right now, today, right now? Where is Jesus? He is seated at the right hand of the Father in a physical body that has holes in it. He has holes in his hands and his feet. He has a, he has a deep wound in his side where that Roman soldier pierced him to make sure he was dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is governing and watching over this world as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world. I, 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 can't, I can't stress this enough, beloved. I ask you this question in application. If that's the case... How are we spending our time? How are, are we spending time like play money? How do we plan? I mean, the, the Bible doesn't say not to plan. The Bible just says in James, don't plan without God. Don't plan without God. Don't plan your future without consulting the God of glory, the one who holds all things in His hands, the one who spoke this world into existence, the one who will bless you with understanding, light, and reason, and wisdom, the one who will give you the strength to perform your callings, your duties, all the things you must do, the one that gives you the energy to love Him and love one another. Consult Him before you make your plans. Seek Him out. Look, if you don't, you're, you're just like an unbeliever. You're just like an atheist. How many Christians live like atheists? We don't consult God. We don't really care what God thinks because we're going to do what we want to do. But I have fire insurance. James condemns that kind of thinking. He condemns that line of reasoning, which brings me to my third and last point this morning, beloved, and that is... 
Time is a gift. I, I want to do this. To, I don't want you to leave here this morning without thinking, without at least having the opportunity to praise God for time. Even though we may sometimes fall into that trap of saying what? There's not enough hours in the day. We can say, Lord, I don't know how many breaths this body's going to take. I don't. But you've numbered them. And I'm not going to take one more. I won't take one less. And I won't take one more. But what I do have and what I do possess, help me utilize it for your glory and my own well-being. That's what I want to do in this third point. Time helps the godly man. Listen to this. Time helps the godly man with his salvation in life. Remember, it's religious. Time is a religious concept. Why do you think we have... I think there is something very important to religious calendars. There's seasons and times to praise God. There, there would be... I mean, if you, if you were to live in a world that blessed God's name and understood this, guess what we might do at harvest time? Have a great celebration and celebrate the fruit of the harvest because who brought forth the fruit from the ground? God did. Did you create the dirt? Look at everything that we utilize. Where did it come from? Yes, we co-created with God, but where's the original creation? With God. With God. I want you to see, beloved, what you've been given today, at least today, is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have an opportunity right now in this hour, in this moment to do what? Praise God for your salvation. Ask God for wisdom. Repent of anything you've been convicted of and say, Oh God, now this moment and this hour, we commune together. That's all you have. You've got now. You've got now. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. God gives redeemed man a chance to live out his faith. To live it out. To plan accordingly. And and to plan in such a way that brings God glory. Listen to me, beloved. When we sit down and we think about how much we want to save money-wise, how much we want to own, we want to pay off our house, we we want these cars, we want to pay these cars. Oh, very good. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But where's the prayer for, Lord, I need your blessing. See, I need you to bless me. I, 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 I need to conform to your will here. I need to work out. Listen, Lord, I want to be more loving. I want to be more giving. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more, I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be envious. I, I want to, I want to increase just as I increase in my job, my money, my savings. I want to increase in grace. Don't leave me a child of the faith. Let me etch as I am given days and weeks and months and years. Lord, this is where I want to be in the next season of my life. Remind me each and every day of the benefits of communing with Christ. You have that right now. You've got that opportunity right now to do that. Lord, hold on to me. To think about the benefits of it. I can tell you this. Listen to me. Now, listen closely. 
There are no benefits to the one who merely says they know God but don't live, don't live it out. There are no benefits. Cursing. Because you know what happens over time? And I'm fixing to touch on it. What happens over time, all you do is bring to yourself greater hardships in this life and in the next life, greater judgment. Because God says, you lived all of this life I've given you as a gift for yourself. And you didn't do those things that I had commanded you to do. You only did them when they were convenient for you. And now, it's like the rich man and Lazarus. You've already received the good things in this life. And now you're to go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and pain and misery forever. If we don't use these blessings in this life, what makes you think the next life is going to be of any value to you? Because how we live out this life, is the, it places a value on how we see heaven. What's your soul worth? What is your soul worth? You know, we'll write a check for the things we really want. But I bet you we would be stingy when it comes writing a check for our souls. And that's what we're doing, how we're writing this check with the way we spend time. <laughs> if we spend time like play money, we place no value on our eternity. And that's what James is dealing with here. In verse 15 says, Instead we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But is it, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows what the right thing to do and does not do it to him in a sin. James is capsulating everything he said. He goes, listen, in all of these things that I've taught you, when you walk away from me and you don't heed any of these things, you are sinning. Because you know everything I've told you is correct. Everything i told you is the mind and will of God. And James says, to you who know to do right and don't do it, it's sin. There is an aspect of this gift that I want to talk about, and this is what I want to end with. I want to, it probably maybe something you never heard before, but I want to talk about habits. Because habits are related to time. Habits are neither negative or positive. They're, they're just, habit. it's a habit. It's what we do that the habit forms. It's what the habit forms. Now, that's not neutral. It can be negative or positive, good or bad, evil or good. But I want you to think about how God created us. Our God, in, in His love and compassion for us, cre created us with the ability to create habits. Now, what are the habits? Habits are those things that we do so much or that we become so familiar with, they become character shapers, so to speak. The more you do something, the more it impacts your life and the more it shapes who you are. 
If you put your hands and minds and time, if you put the time into a, a bad habit, guess what's going to be produced over time? Bad character. Bad character. But think about this. You can change a bad habit by doing what? Stopping it. And begin doing that which is good. Do the thing. Look, listen to verse 17. To the one who knows the right thing to what? Do. It's not enough to think it. We have to do it. To stop a bad habit means to replace the bad habit with a good habit. And as you continue to perform that habit. Now what does it say? What is it? 30 days. Some say 90 days. That if you do something for that period of time consistently, guess what you do? It becomes sort of ingrained. Okay? You know, you got routines that you get up in the morning. There's a routine. Those are, those are habits. They are, now, listen, now we ought to be developing what? Spiritual habits. These spiritual habits are gifts from God. God's given us an opportunity to shape our lives in such a way that they yield the most and most blessed fruit in our lives. His blessing. Isn't that great? And He makes it to where you don't have to, listen, you don't have to, you, how many of us can just stumble like a zombie into the kitchen from the bed in the morning and make coffee? Okay? You can do it. That we begin to pattern and do our lives and live in such a way but we're doing these things in, in, the, in the value, right? Spending time. Listen, I, I started to bring up a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 6. You can go there and read it this afternoon, but basically it says this. When a man or a woman spends their time on the fruitless things of life, don't expect, don't expect to get the blessings of life. That is, when you spend... When you spend it all on all of this that has no value, guess what? Don't be surprised in the end. Let me use this word. Just in poverty. You're in poverty because you already spent it. And you didn't spend it on the right things. Because you've, we've all been given some currency called time. And how we spend that time, brothers and sisters, is a direct reflection of our hearts. And commitments. And promises. And it's a gift from God. And I would encourage us all to do what? Spend it wisely. <laughs> Spend it wisely. Start today. Let's pray.